Morning. morning. Is it still morning? Yes, it is. Christ is risen. It's risen indeed. Amen. So this morning I opened up my Bible and I looked at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell essentially the same story. They went there on the first day of the week looking for Jesus. They wanted to bring spices and finish the anointing of his body, but he was not there. He was raised. And they said, you need to go to the mountain in Galilee where Jesus told you he was going to go. And so, friends, the grave is empty. I actually went on the web this morning and put webcam Jesus' grave. What I found out is there are actually two graves in Israel. They're not sure which one he was actually buried in, but they're both empty. They're both empty. I saw it on the camera that Jesus is not in the grave. Either one of them. So there you go. I want to share a story. Now, my friend Lee Moore says, never speak ill of the dead, right? That's a cheap shot to speak ill of the dead. Would you agree? So we're going to change this dude's name. So I need a name. Dr. How about Fudd? Elmer Fudd. Okay, we're going to use Fudd. Dr. Fudd. When I was in seminary, I had many great things. Like we had singing like this every day. People there, they wanted to sing and it was pretty powerful. And we had some great teachers. I think of Dean Reed and David Scott and some of these guys. It wouldn't matter what they're teaching, what subject, because a great teacher, you just want to be in their class. But then the second semester, I got this other guy. We're going to call him Dr. Fudd. <laughs> Dr. Fudd, wow, what a unique individual God made in Dr. Fudd. He had a long, unkempt beard. In fact, I don't think the man owned a comb. I'm not sure he showered on a regular basis. He had yellow stains on his fingers because he smoked more than a man on death row. He was a crusty old man, kind of like an Old Testament prophet. It really just fit with what he was teaching. And so there I am in seminary. I'd been a Christian all of 13 months. And I went to seminary because they told me you could learn the Bible in seminary. Ha, 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 funny. But I went there to seminary, and um, this man got up. And I, I didn't have much theology or Bible at that point. But he was saying this stuff, and I'm like, that doesn't sound right. And basically, I raised my hand. I'm sitting in a class of much older students. Many of them had been lawyers and very smart, analytical types. Some were business owners, 10, 15, 20 years older than I was. I look like Doogie Hauser. But this man was basically saying that Jesus was not raised physically from the dead. And like I'm waiting for one of the lawyers to raise his hand and out debate the guy. They didn't raise their hand. And so I'm like, well, I guess the Lord is me. <laughs> raise my hand and he looks at me. I say, sir, I'm confused. I'm confused. Sounds like what you're saying is that Jesus was not physically raised from the dead. And there are a lot of reasons that confuses me because St. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, you're still in your sins and your faith's a joke, right? And we're to be most pitied of all people. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And I said, but Dr. Fudd, the thing that really confuses me is I just sat behind you in chapel 35 minutes ago. And during the creed, you stood to your feet 
And you said he was raised on the third day. I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So could you please tie those two things together for me? I heard you say it, and now in class, 35 minutes later, you're denying it. And with all the con... What's the word? Say it again. Condescension. That's the word I was looking for. With all the condescension a bearded, unkempt, smelly, beef and cheese kind of guy, cigarette smoker man could muster, he said, well, son, that was liturgy. I'm like, oh, okay, that, that really explains it all. So you don't believe it, but you get a paycheck from a seminary that believes it, and you say it in worship, but you don't really believe it. Today, we're going to be in this epistle. We're not going to do one of the gospel accounts because they all kind of tell the same story. He's not there. He's risen. The grave was empty. But now in this reading that the church has held for years, we see Peter. Peter is, is giving basically a short sermon, basically a short Easter sermon. And if you have your Bible, if you have an app, turn to Acts chapter 10. I'll give you a little context so you just don't kind of come into the movie blind, okay? Um, basically, the Lord has just been teaching Peter that um, he no longer has to keep the Jewish dietary laws, like anything God's made is clean, right? He says, kill and eat. And then after he deals with them on the food, then he's trying to teach them that God, actually, the gospel is not just for Jews. It's for people of every tongue, tribe, and nation, which really blew his mind. And so when we begin in Acts 10, verse 34, it says, So Peter opened his mouth, and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. You, you guys, this is the gospel right here. Who opened his mouth? Peter. Not Fudd, Peter. Why is that remarkable? If you were to turn to the, almost the end of Matthew's gospel, Peter is saying, Lord, you know, blah, 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 I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to be with you to the end. And Jesus says, Peter, I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he did. He denied Christ three times. And yet here he is again. God did not flick him away. He didn't throw him away, nor was God caught off guard or surprised that Peter, under duress and stress, would try to save his own life by denying Jesus. But isn't it gospel? Isn't, isn't it grace that here Peter is uh, just a, a short time later and he's declaring that Jesus was raised from the dead, unashamedly, boldly proclaiming Christ is risen from the dead. Wow. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. You know, you know what non-Christians hate about Christians? If you ask, go with a microphone and say, hey, what do you think of Christians? Judgmental. What do you think Christians? They hate homosexuals. What do you think about Christians? Right? They think, they think we're just so uh, stuck up, so uh, narrow-minded, so whatever, whatever, whatever. But here we're seeing that God, uh, God is not like that. It says here, in, uh, God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right or righteous is acceptable to him. Anyone. And so we see this really all through the scriptures. All through the scriptures. 
but especially in the New Testament. John 3.16, you know that one. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a giveaway. That's a God so loved the You've heard of it. Yes, 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 you've heard of it. So do you see his impartiality? God so loved the world. How about in Romans 2.11? It's so plain. It goes, God shows no partiality. Pretty clear. How about in Revelation? The end of the book, almost the very last breath of the book. Uh, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come to anyone, anyone who is thirsty, let them Come. So you see, God is seeking those who will worship him. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Y'all come, y'all come. And so it says, God shows no partiality. That's what the, if you want to know what God's like, that's what it's like. In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable. Now, I read that and I got confused. What do you mean? Anyone that fears him and does what's right, the whole point of the gospel is that we don't do right. And so I had to look up, I looked a verse up, is John 6, 29. It says, the work of God, the work of God is to believe on him whom the Father has sent. So this thing that he's calling us to, this right living, or really it's righteousness, is something that's actually given by the Father to people who are unworthy. It's like he covers us with a coat of righteousness. It's a gift and a grace, a gift and a grace that had won the, the heart of Peter. And it goes on, and he goes, and he, and he basically is retelling the story. Verse 37. He says, You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. There are a lot of preachers that have lots of words, right? I never met a word I didn't like. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> words, 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 and not a few. Words, 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 words inside of you. You remember that? Yeah. Sort of, yeah. But they say of Jesus that the Father anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And so even when he's a little boy, he goes into the temple and they're like, oh my gosh, we've never heard anybody teach like this. A man who, who preaches and teaches with authority. He's also the same man that reached down to the little girl and says, Talitha kumi. Little girl, I say to you, arise. It's the same one who came to the man born blind. Touches his eyes and he heals him. And the man goes, I, I don't know how he did it. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. Jesus did miracle after miracle after miracle. He even raised Lazarus from the dead. Four days dead. He raised him from the dead. Because the Father had anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he goes, he was preaching good news. He says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, he was preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. What word have you gotten about God? God helps those who help themselves. Yeah. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Yeah. Uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. Yeah. What message? What false message? You know, cults always do two things. They pull Jesus down to be less than God, and they push man up towards divinity. And so we see here, Jesus is preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And God anointed him with the Holy Spirit with power, and he was doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. 
And you're like, quick, I went to college. I don't believe in the devil. Hmm, you don't. That's perfect. That's exactly what he wants you to believe. Was it C.S. Lewis who said, one of the first things the devil does is try to convince you he does not exist. You see, friends, I have seen the handiwork of the evil one, and I never saw him in a red suit with a pitchfork. He masquerades as an angel of light. He goes to and fro, seeking whom he may destroy. And the devil is out to destroy our lives. In fact, my uncle, who was a, a new ager, psychiatrist, he told me one day, we were talking about the devil and how my bishop, former Episcopal bishop had yelled at me and called me to his office because I believed in the devil. My uncle said, well, I tell you this, I've been practicing psychiatry for almost 40 years. And I can tell you, if there's no devil, somebody's doing really good work for him. You've seen it. The destruction of lives. Parents who won't speak to their kids and kids who won't speak to their parents. Siblings who won't talk to each other. They get married, but their sibling won't even come. Enmity and strife and bitterness and brokenness. And they find the dead body of a 29-year-old just down the street. Who knows what happened to this poor man? Do you see it with the drugs? The enmity. And it's not them. It's in the church. Right? The brokenness, the ugliness, the bitterness. It's all in the story. And Jesus came in the power of the Spirit to heal those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Then in verse 39 he goes, And we... We are witnesses, and I'd have to say, Peter, you're a pretty bad witness. You denied him right out of the gate. But Peter says, I'm still a witness. And the Greek word for witness is the word martyr. You may have heard that word. Most of these believers, actually, because of their trust and belief and faith in Jesus being raised from the dead, actually were put to death themselves. Horrible, horrible deaths. Because we're witnesses of all that Jesus did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And then it says, they put him to death by hanging him on the tree. And friends, let me get your attention for a second. When it says they, um, I read this week that oftentimes on Good Friday or after people read a lesson like this, they've gone out and done violence to Jewish people. May it never be so. Who were the apostles? Jews, Right? Who was Jesus? A Jew. So this whole idea that all Jews are responsible for the death of Christ, I'm responsible for the death of Christ. It's the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, not all Jews. God loves the Jews. They're his people. It goes on, it says, we're witnesses. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. They crucified him, the most horrible death. It's a painful death. The Romans were sick. They tried to think of the, the, the sickest, most painful way to destroy a human. That's crucifixion. And then it says in verse 40, I, I need you to underline that one. So all these terrible things, Jesus, the son of God, Messiah, sin bearer, was crucified and hung on a tree. But then in verse 40, it says, but God. It's always but God. That's the whole point of the book but God. We're a train wreck, but God. We're lost, but God. We're bitter, but God. We hate those that we should love, but God. We're lost and have no purpose or, 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 or way forward, but God. It's always but God. 
always. What do you have that you've not received? Faith is a gift. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. You know, there's so many different sources of people they saw Jesus. He appeared first to the women, and then Peter saw him, and then all the rest of the apostles saw him. And then he appeared to, to more than 500 people at one time, and most of those people were still living when this uh, book was written. And Paul says, and then he appeared to me as one untimely born. God raised him on the third day, made him to appear. Do you know that even non-biblical sources reference Jesus Christ and reference his resurrection? They didn't all believe it, but they referenced it. There was Pliny the Younger. Notice not a beer. Maybe a beer, but it's a person. Pliny the Younger. There's Lucian, there's Tacitus, and Josephus, a Jewish historian. On and on and on. There's a Babylonian Talmud. On and on. All these sources, in addition to scripture, that talk about the man Jesus who was raised and how people followed the Christ. Now, let's finish. It says, verse 41, not all people, he appeared, not to all people, but to us who, the, who God had chosen as witnesses. Uh, those of us who had eaten and drank, drank, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42, and he commanded us, he commanded all of us who were witnesses to do what? To preach and to testify, to preach and testify. Don't you get it? Like if it's all up to a guy in a white robe, like the world is not gonna be evangelized. He wants all of us to preach and testify. What are you saying, Quig? I need to go out like on the street corner and get on a, a soapbox with a megaphone and yell at people or hand them chick tracks? No, but we do need to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. It's not that hard, people. Give a reason for any hope you have inside of you. If you know Christ, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so that's what God wants. And people that are unafraid just to tell what you know to be the truth. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We're to preach and we're to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Now, verse 43. It says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Friends, I could go and, and we literally could spend two hours looking at every passage that talks about the resurrection. And you're like, oh, I'm not sure I believe that. I'm a scientist. Oh, yeah, okay, great. <laughs> trust me, friends. There are scientists that are a lot smarter than you. Like, it ain't even a fair fight. There are guys with three PhDs, two PhDs. They're Mensa. Their IQ is 40, 50 points higher than you. And you think you're too smart to believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. I'll just tell you, you're walking in arrogance because there are people a lot brighter than you that have bent their knee and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, unlike Dr. Fudd, <laughs> see, I think the issue isn't really, is the tomb empty? We could all get on an airplane, we could go to Israel and see Jesus' tomb is empty. We could read all the accounts, both in the Bible and even those outside the Bible. The issue for most people isn't really a lack of belief in the empty tomb or the risen Christ. The problem actually is, we, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go there because if we believe it, in it, 
If we believe in the empty tomb and Jesus raised from the dead, all of a sudden there's a line drawn in the sand where now we're no longer God, but he is. And so that's the problem. See, that's why Dr. Fudd, he, oh, I'll study, you know, these crazy ancient Near Eastern languages. I'll do all this. But what he wouldn't do is surrender lordship of his life. And so the empty tomb is there. And I, I would say, if you want to go to Israel, you can go see it. I actually don't need to do that. You know how I know Jesus is real? Because I've talked to him. There was a time in my life when I was so lost, and I look good on the outside. See, lost people tend to look good on the outside for a while. But the wheels, the lug nuts were coming off. And inside I had no hope, and inside there was bitterness, and I hated my dad. I hated him. I promise you, no figment of your imagination can help you to love somebody you hate. It's impossible. No figment of your imagination can give you hope when you stand over the grave of your dead mother or father or granddaughter. No figment of your imagination can give you hope. Only the empty tomb and the risen Christ. And so I encourage you, friends, to draw a line in the sand and to believe that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he is. And he's proved it. His grave is still empty. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.